Hello, it's lovely to welcome you back to I Wonder. Today, I'd like to start by thanking one of my listeners, Trista, who sent me a very heartfelt message that I really, really appreciated. And she even contributed to my tea fund. So thanks to her, I am currently enjoying a cup of Earl Grey, which is one of my favorite teas. Um, So I want to thank you for your thoughtfulness, Trista. Here I am sipping as I speak into the microphone, and I'll try not to make slurping noises. Last time we spoke, we were halfway through the first episode of Becoming Frida, a BBC documentary. Now we return to it when Frida is at a happy time in her life. You know, she's in love, and she's doing fun, interesting things alongside her school friends. Suddenly, the now infamous trolley slams into her life and nothing will ever be the same for her. She barely survives it and many of her dreams die on impact. Her body is so severely damaged that nobody expects her to live, but she does. And later, while she's recovering, she will realize that she's not the same as before. And it must have filled her with sadness and perhaps some rage as well. To avoid having her fall into a deep depression, her mother has a custom contraption made so that Frida can paint while still in bed, recovering from the accident. She starts painting portraits of her family and of some of her friends who visit her. It really is a lifesaver for Frida at this point. She's not a stranger to painting, actually. Her father, who was a professional photographer, has taught her how to colorize photographs by hand. So she's very adept at using the brushes and the paint. As an aside, it's funny to me how they recreate her writing in English while the voiceover is already translating her words as they appear on the screen. You know, I guess you have to be a Spanish speaker to find it confusing, but it took me a moment. Obviously, the target audience here is English-speaking viewers. So, a short time into her healing, while she's recovering, she realizes that her then-boyfriend Alejandro doesn't come to see her anymore, and he has virtually disappeared. Turns out his family has decided that he'll go to Europe in the hope that he'll completely forget about Frida. This turns out to be a crucial time for Frida because she's facing the loss of her health as well as the loss of her first love. And you'll notice that the documentary underscores this transition with some really over-the-top dramatic music. I find the track that they chose a bit out of place and a little bit overdone. Um, Anyone with half a heart should feel the intense sense of loss and perhaps failure that Frida felt. And, of course, without the help of that music. But anyway, I guess that's just me, perhaps. The reality is that she's becoming a bit self-centered and understandably so. Her family pampers her, they take care of her every need. She is dependent on them 
but she also realizes that she's her most reliable subject. Nobody else even comes close. She paints her first self-portrait at this juncture, and we can plainly see her strong disposition and her determined character becoming her best assets. They are both clearly there on the canvas. At this point, we learn about Frida's social environment while all these changes are taking place in her private life. It's around 1927, and we're given a glimpse of what was going on in the country. I think that we're presented with a somewhat romanticized version of life in Mexico, and it reminds me a lot of what Cuba was in the 50s. There is a trend to approach life in a very hedonistic way, as if you were in a perennial vacation. They show us some stills of famous actors and celebrities of the time, and they're all pursuing this, this playground, carefree lifestyle. Of course, that's not the reality for the majority of Mexican people who live there all the time. Nevertheless, this time is important in Frida's life because it is when she meets Diego Rivera. They paraphrase in a way that is a little bit sketchy, I think, their first conversation. But the fact is that Rivera does give her encouragement to continue to paint, and that's crucial. Thanks to it, she finds renewed confidence and starts developing her style. Frida's circle of mentors and friends starts to expand. And when photographer Tina Modotti arrives in Mexico, Frida is impressed. I like Modotti. I find her fascinating in her own right, even though she's been somewhat eclipsed by Frida. She's truly strong, even fierce, very talented, and she's there photographing working class people, not just the middle class, not just the privileged few who could afford to have their portraits taken. And Frida follows Modotti, and she's enamored of her. She's in love with the notion of a bohemian lifestyle and with the camaraderie these young people seem to share. It is a little bit confusing to me when one of the experts states that Diego Rivera was carrying around a gun because in Mexico at the time you needed it, quote, to keep things straight. Well, I'm quite sure that that is a euphemism, but I think that it gives you an idea of how volatile the society was during those years. It was not just all fun and games and celebrities prancing around and having drinks. The gun was for settling disputes, for safety, for protection, for intimidation, perhaps. I don't know. But I know that nothing good ever happens when firearms are involved, and this is very much the case here. So Frida is really in awe of Rivera's presence, you know, and they imply that also because of the use of the gun, but Rivera makes himself known everywhere he goes. That's just something he does. I think she feels somewhat protected 
by this behemoth of a man. I do not agree, by the way, with the convoluted definition of a Latin macho given in this part of the docu-series. It kind of perpetuates a stereotype that I really dislike, and it also fails to explain his behavior. I think we can agree that he was a habitually unfaithful husband and that he lacked all scruples in this regard. And actually, we will learn later to what extremes he would go and how he will push Frida into a life that she might have not chosen for herself otherwise, who knows. I think of Rivera as Frida's second life-altering crash. He was overwhelming in so many ways, and he left a lot of pain in his wake. Frida was also extremely vulnerable to his whims because she was so, so devoted to him. We learned that one of the reasons Frida stays by Rivera, again, is this sense of safety that she gets from being around him. You know, despite all the infidelities, there is a political and social backlash against communism sweeping Mexico, and the freedom that was promised to women during the revolution never materialized. So there is a sense of um, safety. So this is a real reason for her to stay around Diego Rivera. And Modotti, she is embroiled in a murder and the story becomes a cautionary tale for all women. Frida doesn't want to be in her shoes. So Diego, with his profile, his reputation and his prominence, is a refuge during these turbulent times. So they finally marry although without her mother's blessing. She simply cannot accept the relationship. It's one step too far for her. Perhaps I would like to think that she feels there will be suffering in store for her daughter. And that's quite possible. Maybe that's the reason she didn't approve. And after all, he already had children from previous relationships and he had never been married in spite of it. So in the end, other considerations prevail, particularly for Frida's father. And what he's hoping is that Rivera will be able to pay for the medical care that the family, which is now going through financial difficulties, can no longer provide. And here there's a sudden, quite unexpected twist in the narrative when inexplicably, they both move into the US ambassador's residence so that Rivera can paint a mural. Accepting money from capitalists as well as their hospitality is seen in Rivera's and Frida's circle as a complete betrayal, and they both become pariahs almost immediately. It must have been a terrible blow for Frida. Once again, she is abandoned, this time by people she considers friends, and she has to deal with their abrupt unpopularity as a couple. It only results in a strange interdependency, a strong sense of being in a struggle together side by side. Diego and Frida, they are almost one entity, but while they play house for a time at the beginning of their tumultuous marriage, Diego's affairs start to become more frequent. 
and Frida's feelings of betrayal intensify. She's a little lost, not knowing which way to grow. She feels stunted and alone, particularly when she miscarriages her first baby. This is the time when she begins to question her own role as the wife of a larger-than-life Diego Rivera and the quest for her identity as an artist and as a muse starts. Well, this is the end of the first episode. I say, let's keep going to the end because this is a story of an exceptional woman, but one that exemplifies the experiences of many, many women. I will be back with the first half of episode two next week. Until then, take care.